Chapter One of My Brilliant Career. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Magdalena Cook. My Brilliant Career by Miles Franklin. Chapter One. I remember. I remember. Boo-hoo! Oh! 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 Me'll die! Boo-hoo! The pain! The pain! Boo-hoo! Come, come now. Daddy's little mate isn't going to turn Turk like that, is she? I'll put some fat out of the dinner bag on it and tie it up in my hanky. Don't cry any more now. Hush, you must not cry. You'll make old Dart buck if you kick up a row like that. That is my first recollection of life. I was barely three. I can remember the majestic gum tree surrounding us, the sun glinting on their straight white trunks and falling on the gurgling fern bank stream which disappeared beneath a steep, scrubby hill on our left. It was an hour past noon on a long, clear summer day. We were on a distant part of the run, where my father had come to deposit salt. He had left home early in the dewy morning, and carrying me in front of him on a little brown pillow which my mother had made for the purpose. We had put lumps of rock salt in the troughs on the other side of the creek. The stringy bark roof of the salt shed which protected the troughs from rain peeped out picturesquely from the musk and peppercorn shrubs, by which it was densely surrounded, and was visible from where we lunched. I refilled the quart pot in which we had boiled our tea with water from the creek. Father doused our fire out with it, and then tied the quart to the D of his saddle, with a piece of green hide. The green hide bags in which the salt had been carried were hanging out on the hooks of the pack saddle which encumbered the bay-pack horse. Father's saddle and the brown pillow were on Dart, the big grey horse on which he generally carried me, and we were on the point of making tracks for home. Preparatory to starting, Father was muscling the dogs which had just finished what lunch we had left. The process to which the dogs strongly objected was rendered necessary by a cogent reason. Father had brought his strict nine flask with him that day, and, in hopes of causing the death of a few dingoes, had put strong doses of its contents in several dead beasts, which we had come across. Whilst the dogs were being muscled, I busied myself in plucking ferns and flowers. This disturbed a big black snake which was curled at the butt of the tree fern. "'Bitey, bitey!' I yelled, and father came to my rescue, dispatching the reptile with his stock-whip. He had been smoking and dropped his pipe on the ferns. I picked it up, and the glowing embers which fell from it burnt my dirty little fat fists. Hence the noise with which my story commences. In all probability it was the burning of my fingers which so indelibly impressed the incident on my infantile mind. My father was accustomed to take me with him, but that is the only jaunt at that date which I remember. And that is all I remember of it. We were twelve miles from home, but how we reached there I do not know. My father was a swell in those days. Held Bruggabong, Bin Bin East, and Bin Bin West, which three stations total close on two hundred thousand acres. Father was admitted into swelldom merely by right of his position. His pedigree included nothing beyond a grandfather. My mother, however, was a full-fledged aristocrat. She was one of the bossiest of Cadigat who numbered among their ancestry one of the depraved old pirates who pillaged England with William the Conqueror. Dick Melvin was as renowned for his hospitality as joviality, and our comfortable, wide-verandered, irregularly built slab-house in its sheltered nook amid the Timlinbilly ranges was ever full to overflowing. Doctors, lawyers, squatters, commercial travellers, bankers, journalists, tourists, 
and men of all kinds and classes crowded our well-spread board. But seldom a female face, except mothers, was to be seen there, Bruggabrong being a very out-of-the-way place. I was both the terror and the amusement of the station. Old boundary riders and drovers inquire after me with interest to this day. I knew everyone's business, and was ever in danger of publishing it at an inopportune moment. In flowery language selected from slang used by the station hands, and long words picked up from our visitors, I propounded unanswerable questions which brought blushes to the cheeks of even tough old wine-bibbers. Nothing would induce me to show more respect to an appraiser of the runs than to a boundary rider, or to a clergyman than a drover. I am the same to this day. My organ of veneration must be flatter than a pancake, because to venerate a person simply for his position I never did or will. To me the Prince of Wales will be no more than a shearer, unless when I meet him he displays some personality apart from his friendship, otherwise he can go hang. Authentic record of the date when I first had a horse to myself has not been kept, but it must have been early, as at eight I was fit to ride anything on the place. Side saddle, man saddle, no saddle, or astride were all the same to me. I rode among the musterers as gamely as any of the big sunburnt bushmen. My mother remonstrated, opined I would be a great unwomanly tomboy. My father pooed the idea. Let her alone, Lucy, he said. Let her alone. The rubbishing conventionalities which are the curse of her sex will bother her soon enough. Let her alone. So, smiling and saying, she should have been a boy. My mother let me alone, and I rode, and in comparison to my size made as much noise with my stock-whip as any one. Accidents had no power over me. I came unscathed out of the droves of them. Fear I knew not. Did a drunken tramp happen to kick up a row? I was always the first to confront him, and from my majestic and roly-poly height of two feet six inches, demand what he wanted. A digging started near us, and was worked by a score of two dark brown sons of Italy. They made mother nervous, and she averred they were not to be trusted. But I liked and trusted them. They carried me on their broad shoulders, stuffed me with lollies, and made a general pet of me. Without the quiver of a nerve I swung down their deepest shafts in the big bucket on the end of a rope attached to a rough windlass, which brought up the miners and the mullock. My brothers and sisters contracted mumps, measles, scalatina, and whooping cough. I rolled in bed with them, yet came off scot-free. I romped with the dogs, climbed trees after birds' nest, drove the bullocks in the dray, under the instructions of Ben, our bullocky, and always accompanied my father when he went swimming in the clear mountain shrub-lined stream, which ran deep and lone among the weird gullies, thickly carpeted with maidenhair and numberless other species of ferns. My mother shook her head over me and trembled for my future, but father seemed to consider me nothing unusual. He was my hero, confidant, encyclopedia, mate, and even my religion till I was ten. Since then I have been religionless. Richard Melvin, you were a fine fellow in those days, a kind and indulgent parent, a chivalrous husband, a capital host, a man full of ambition and gentlemanliness. Amid these scenes, and the refinements and pleasure of Cadigat, which lies a hundred miles or so farther river inwards, I spent the first years of my childhood. End of chapter 1